You're listening to the postseason of Pot of Wonder, where we do things other than what we normally do. Hello, Wanderers. Danny here with another solo adventure for you. What can I say? I'm the easiest person to schedule around. This time I'll be playing The Artifact by Brian Smith. It is a one-player game of cosmic horror following a museum curator who slowly discovers a recently donated item foreshadows an otherworldly threat. This game is played using a six-sided die, a deck of playing cards, and a tumbling wooden block tower. You roll the die and draw that many cards. The cards have prompts for things that happen in your life and sometimes tell you to draw from the tumbling wooden block tower. For those who don't remember our star-crossed episodes, I am bad at tumbling wooden block tower. Fortunately, the designer included an alternative. Uh, there is a link to a dice roller that rolls 100 six-sided dice. Uh, whenever you would pull from the tower, you can instead use this dice roller. The dice roller automatically removes any die that rolled a 1, so your gradually shrinking dice pool reflects your diminishing grip on reality. Once you're out of dice, your mind shatters, and you record one last epilogue audio diary. Let's get started. This is Assistant Curator Simon Lidst recording. Yesterday we received a donation of a new artifact to our collection, reference number 32214. There was no return address on the package, no information in the crate, just the following artifact. It uh, appears to be a fork made of some sort of tarnished silvery metal, approximately six inches long, inscribed with some sort of strange runes or letters. Curiously, no matter how long I held this item, it always remained cold to the touch, as if it had just been removed from a freezer. It arrived inside a black case, sleek, virtually unscratched, some sort of black stone, onyx perhaps. The case seems heavy for what it's made out of, and the only contents were this fork. Last night I had some unsettling dreams, and the artifact was in them. I'm a person of science, but I can't help but think there's something off about this object. The others in my office don't agree that there's anything strange about it, and I've had no luck convincing them so far. After one day with this object, I couldn't find out anything online, its history or its providence, and it doesn't quite look like anything I've seen before. Whatever this artifact is, it doesn't really fit into our collection at all. I'm going to learn as much as I can about it and try to rehome it with the museum that it might be a better fit for, or else dispose of it. Okay. I rolled a three and drew three cards. The first of which is the Seven of Diamonds. There's something wrong with your vision for parts of the day. What did you see through your distorted vision? Did it keep you from doing anything? Pull from the tower. Uh, next is the King of Clubs. You tried to convince an important family member about the artifact. After a long interaction, they called you crazy and are now ignoring all your attempts to contact them. What happened? Pull from the tower. Do not discard this card. Place it face up where you can see it. If this is the fourth king that you have faced up, Turn to the rules section titled Four Kings and follow your instructions there. Uh, six of Diamonds. You just can't focus today. You're tired and your mind keeps wandering away from your work. Where does your mind go when it wanders? 
Day 2 of Examining Item 32214, Simon Lidst Recording. The strange dreams have continued, but now there are other side effects. I'm finding myself having trouble focusing. My mind, it wanders, it, it slips off of things as if they were made of ice. Oddly enough, all my wanderings trend in the same direction. How brittle things are, how easily things might be broken. A piece of paper could be torn in half or wadded up. A glass bottle shattered on the ground. A human bone. Also, my vision is hazy. Ever since I woke up, it's like a, a fog is over everything. I see shadows moving in this fog, like monsters stalking in the dark. When I walk forward, these, these figures vanish as if they weren't there. Likely they weren't ever there. These are mere visual phenomena and hallucinations, perhaps due to a, a lack of rest, that's all. These nightmares interfere with my ability to sleep. Thus, my ability to focus goes mentally and visually. It makes some sense. I was relating these experiences to my sister, Libby. We live in different cities, but we've always been fairly close. I was telling her about this strange artifact, 32214. I don't know why. We never talk about work that much. She finds it boring. But I, I told her about these dreams and these difficulties in my mental and visual ability to focus, and she called me crazy. She said it was ridiculous that some strange artifact was responsible for these problems. I don't remember saying that the artifact was the cause of it, though. She hung up on me. I tried calling her back, but she didn't pick up. Tried sending her an email, no response. It's curious. It's uncharacteristic of her to react like that. No further progress in identifying the artifact. Materials unknown. Origin unknown. I feel strangely compelled to keep it on hand, though. Doesn't seem right letting this mystery go unsolved. And recording. Uh, current sanity is 64. Rolled four cards. Two of spades. You stop in a local cafe to get a drink on the way to work. The barista, whom you know casually, asks what you're working on. Do you tell them about the artifact? Why or why not? Five of spades. You're wearing a robe and holding a knife in your dreams. The artifact is on an altar before you, and so is an unconscious person. Do you recognize them? If so, who you are about to sacrifice? Do you complete the sacrifice? Pull from the tower. Eight of spades. You dream you're in a familiar room from your childhood, but several things are terribly wrong. Describe them. Pull from the tower. Eight of diamonds. You realize that you have been staring at the artifact for many minutes. What choices in your life brought you to this place and job that this artifact ended up with you?
Oh, ah, uh, sorry. Uh, day three of examining artifact three triple two one four. Simon Litz recording. I just realize I have been staring at this fork for several minutes. I was getting my morning tea, and the barista, Jonathan, asked me uh, what I was working on at the museum. I didn't want to tell him. I've found myself becoming strangely protective of this artifact. When co-workers ask how progress is going, I, I become defensive. When there's talk of, of sending it to someone else, to another museum, I insist I have it covered. I'm reminded of a time in my childhood. I was maybe five or six. My grandmother, she, she liked to go to, to thrift stores and shops that sell assorted bric-a-brac, used clothes, donated items, etc. She would take me sometimes. I would hide amongst the aisles and paw through the, the piles of clothes too large to fit me. One day, one particular shop that I don't recall we had ever visited before, I found a book. It was a small, unmarked, any published work, but it looked like someone's personal journal. It, uh, it struck me then as oddly fascinating, these recordings of a person's day-to-day -day life. The kind of information that, if this book were ever lost or destroyed, no one might ever know what happened to this person. It seemed like uncovering a great secret. In retrospect, that was something that set me on my path to this job. Working at a museum, examining artifacts, preserving bits of history that would otherwise be lost or undiscovered. The bad dreams haven't stopped. Last night, I imagined I was back in my childhood home, in that weird, dreamlike way where physically you're yourself as a child, but you still retain your current mental capacities. We were playing in the basement, my sister and I, but it was different somehow. Wrong. It was chilly, not the damp cool of an unfinished basement, but, but a cool, dry air where you could see your breath as you exhale. The walls were not cinder blocks, but solid ice, and the floor a light powdering of snow. My sister, she, she grabbed my hand. She said, let's play. She carried me over to a, a rack of clothes and said, put one of these on. I'll be at the rear wall. So I did. It was a robe, so dark red it was almost black, stitched with light blue threads at the seams. In its pocket there were two things. This fork, this artifact that I have been examining, and a sacrificial knife. So, robe on me, fork in one hand, knife in the other, I walked to the rear wall of the basement. There, my sister lay upon a slab of ice. She turned to face me. Her eyes were blank, but her mouth was fixed in a wide, toothy grin. 
Speaking in a voice that was and was not her own, she said, Do it. Do it quickly, before it's too late. I raised the dagger above my sister's chest, plunged it down. Then, I woke up. I don't know what to make of this. It's not merely the random assembly of thoughts and ideas floating about in your brain as it reassembles itself during your sleep. There was something realistic about it. Something personal. Something imperative about it. End recording. So I've rolled three cards. Nine of hearts. Something about the artifact changed while you were on your lunch break. What changed? What does this signify to you? Pull from the tower. Ten of diamonds. Whilst brushing your teeth, you suddenly see something in the mirror behind you. Panicked, you spin around. Nothing is there. When you look back in the mirror, it's gone. What did you think you saw? Pull from the tower. Ten of clubs. You try to convince your romantic partner that there's something wrong with this artifact. They say they believe you, but what about the response makes you think they're just humoring you? Day 4 of Examining Artifact 32214 Simon Lidst Recording The artifact has changed since last time. It looks clean. You'll remember the previously reported tarnish. We tried to clean things no more than necessary for examination in order to ensure they are properly preserved and representative of the culture from which they were drawn from. This looks brand new. If it were not for the distinctive carvings, I would say it were not even the same item. It has been scrubbed clean. It's... Silly to think of it, but I wonder if this had something to do with what happened yesterday. While I was brushing my teeth, I saw something in the mirror behind me. One second, it was my normal white bathroom wall. I blinked, and behind me stretched an icy landscape, with steps leading up to a great black tower. I saw the image grow closer, as if I were walking towards those steps, but I remained standing still in my bathroom. As I continued not walking, the air around me grew cold, and my body became tired. As the vision in the mirror reached the top of the tower, I could take no more, and I turned around. There was my normal white bathroom wall. I turned back to face the mirror again, and there was its equally normal reflection. An odd feeling struck me, like my own doubts had deprived me of something. Whatever was inside that tower was important, and by trying to see it, it was lost to me forever. I struck the mirror in anger and frustration. The glass shattered, falling into the sink onto the ground. My knuckles began to bleed from the impact, and my partner Maggie ran upstairs to see what had happened. I started to tell her that I had just slipped on something and, and impacted the mirror, but 
but that was ridiculous. Why would I lie about something like that? I told her about what had been going on at work with this artifact. The loss of vision, the inability to focus, the bad dreams, the sleepless nights, the lost time. I said there was something wrong about this artifact. There was something, I hesitate to say it, but supernatural about it. She is as much a person of logic and reason as I am, but oddly enough, she said she believed me. She said to take care of myself. Then she went over to the cabinet and got out the first aid kit, the alcohol, the bandages. She wrapped up my wounded hand, kissed it to make it feel better. I realized as we walked back to the bedroom that the hand she had wrapped and kissed was numb with cold. End recording. I have rolled three cards. Jack of spades. In your dream, you're surrounded by friends and family at a holiday event. You hear familiar crying. As hard as you try, you can't locate it, and no one else can hear you. Who is crying? Pull from the tower. Jack of Hearts. You leave a webcam recording overnight, and you see the artifact move in the dead of night. You show your colleagues the recording in the morning, and they claim not to see it move. How can you convince them about this artifact? Pull from the tower. Queen of Hearts. Someone at work makes a joke, and you laugh. You keep laughing, and end up laughing hysterically long after everyone stops. They look warily at you. What did you do to escape the situation? Some of your colleagues are now avoiding you. Pull from the tower, and do not replace the block. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be when I'm using the dice roller. Womp womp. Day 5 of Examining Artifact 32214. Simon Litzt recording. I have been attempting to establish via empirical evidence the supernatural tendencies of this artifact. I set up a camera overnight to watch the item. I set it up at the end of my shift last night and came in to check it this morning. The camera was pointed right at the spot on the table where I had left the fork out. From the time of midnight until 3 a.m., that space is bare. The fork was simply gone. No hand can be seen coming into frame to move it. It does not slide off of the table. 115959 it is there. 120000 it is not. At precisely 3am, it appears back in frame, looking exactly the same as it had before it had left. I had shown this footage to some of my co-workers. When I showed them the tape, I thought they would clearly be able to see what I was talking about, but they didn't. At first, they didn't even see that it was gone. I had to literally go frame by frame showing them from 11.59 to midnight that the key was suddenly no longer there, from 2.59 to 3 that it was not there and suddenly was. I honestly thought they were playing some kind of joke on me, but they legitimately did not see that the key had moved. This wasn't some hallucination, this was hard video evidence. I... <laughs> hmm. Sorry, it was... It was at that t that moment, uh, Abigail, she said, 
Oh, I bet it's gone with the last piece of the Bayou tapestry. <laughs> you see, because it's a, it's another missing artifact. It was, it was so funny when I heard it. I just, I just couldn't stop laughing. I, I laughed and I laughed and everybody else started laughing. Then everybody else stopped laughing, but I was still laughing. I just couldn't help myself. <sighs> they, they all stared at me, and I stared back, realizing what had happened. I quietly excused myself to, to get back to work. And thinking of that now, staring at this fork, I'm, I'm suddenly reminded of a dream I had. I didn't remember it until now. We were at a party. My friends were there, my co-workers, my family. But at the head of the table, where the host would usually sit, there wasn't a person. There was... the fork. Just sort of floating there in the chair. Everybody was, was laughing, carrying on like it was completely normal to be at a party hosted by some unidentifiable ancient eating utensil. I was the only one who seemed to think anything was amiss. And as I looked about at all the people, I asked my mother, Where's Libby? Why isn't she here? My mom looked puzzled. She asked, Who's Libby? My sister, your daughter. She looked at me like, like I was crazy. You don't have a sister. You're my only child. Even by dream logic standards, this was ridiculous. I got up and I, I tore through the house looking for her. Pushing through doors, going down, random turning hallways. Soon, every door I opened, every hallway I turned to led me back into that room. Each time I made my new entrance, a new person stopped to stare at me. I kept running, turning around, opening doors, turning down hallways. And soon, every single eye of every single person I loved was there, staring at me. Every person except my sister. And recording. Okay, currently at 26 dice. I just rolled a six. See what we get. Seven of spades. You dream that you're in a crowd with thousands of others, praying and chanting to something. What is it? The artifact is nowhere to be seen. Pull from the tower. Five of clubs. You start writing an article for publication about this artifact. What evidence do you actually have that you could convince others of its true nature? King of Spades In a normal dream, you suddenly sense the presence of something ancient, powerful, and malevolent. You look into the sky and glimpse a vast monstrosity. What do you see? If this is the second time you've drawn a king, it sees you. Pull from the tower twice, and do not replace either block. Ace of Hearts You've posted on message board far and wide across the internet, and someone has finally responded, saying they've encountered an artifact like this before. You reply, asking them for information on how to destroy it. Pull from the tower. Five of Diamonds A certain everyday word seems to appear more and more frequently in all the conversations happening around you. Which word, and when did you first notice it? Pull from the tower. Ten of Hearts you realize that something about the collection number is nagging at you. Does it correspond to a date, 
or map coordinates, or something else you can use to get more information. Another dream. This one started out fairly normal. I was young again, maybe six or seven. I was with my father. We were on our way to the stadium to watch some sporting event. This was before he realized what a nerd he had for a son. We filed in, got our tickets, got our snacks, got to our seats. When the time came for the national anthem, the entire stadium stood up in unison, except for myself. Rather than the bars of Oh Say Can You See, there was a chanting, low and guttural at first, rising in pitch and frequency. The crowd began to convulse, swaying back and forth in their frenzy, bumping into each other, knocking over drinks and food. I remained seated, terrified. As the chanting and flailing reached a fever pitch, the sky grew brighter. From my huddled position, I looked up and I saw a great beast. Unfathomably large, its body made of a clear crystal substance. So pure you could scarcely see it but for the way your vision distorted as you looked through it. The chanting turned to cheers as people in the crowds began leaping up and down. My father reached down and lifted me up out of my seat. I struggled to remain in my seat, to remain curled up in the bald position that I was in. But I suddenly found myself up in the air and I heard my father chanting, Please, take him, take mine. All around me, the chaos grew silent. A large bloodshot eyeball appeared in the sky. The only splotch of color in this translucent monstrosity. And it was looking right at me. One of those massive tentacles began to descend only able to be seen by the distorted image visible through the other side of it. My father's grip tightened in anticipation as the tentacle neared, fingernails digging into my sides. A cold chill came over me and my father's grip loosened as the tentacle wrapped around my waist. I was being lifted up high above the stadium, away from the crowd of fanatics and towards that eye. I began to kick and bite, desperate to wriggle free, and I did. I began to fall, a slow motion descent towards an earth so eager to give me up. I watched the eye grow distant, an expression of disappointment somehow communicated by that single sinister orb. I braced for impact, and then I woke up. I have nothing to add to this. I am familiar with these dreams by now. They grow more coherent but more unbelievable, overriding bits of my childhood with this beastly figure, with these tremors of reality. Oh. Day 6 of examining Artifact 32214. Simon Lidst recording. I have been toying with the idea of appealing to the wider community. I've tried authoring an article of my discoveries, but I realize how little progress I've made. I still don't even know what this thing is. 
what it's made out of. Any evidence of supernatural goings-on seems to be discounted by everyone I tell it to. So, I appealed to less scientific sources. I went onto the internet, amateur archaeologists and historians, and then to, to conspiracy theorists and occultists to see if anyone might have any information on what this thing might be. And I got a response. Someone claims to know what this is, that they have encountered it before, and that they have important information to share with me. I, I contacted them privately, asking what they know. I have yet to receive a reply, but things might be looking up. I, I also asked how I might destroy this thing. It was difficult to type that out. My mind seemed to have trouble forming the thoughts. My body seemed to have trouble typing it out. I got the message off, though. And hopefully we will receive a reply shortly. The previous trouble I've had focusing is gone, and in its absence I feel like I'm thinking more clearly than ever. I've been noticing in people's conversations... Not merely those few that I still have with other people, but the conversations they have around me. A certain word keeps popping up. Word, words, you, whatever your, your declension, your conjugation. I'm a, I'm a historian, not a linguist. That word is pass. Pass, passage, past. Passed without a trace. Passing grade. The Northwest Passage. I wonder if there's a meaning behind this. I've been looking for my own patterns, too. And I had a thought. What if it's not mere chance that this item came into our possession when it did? What if there is some sort of meaning behind the catalog number it was assigned? 3-2214. So, I went looking for that, just in case. 3-2214 is the PIN code for the post office in Rajasthan, India. That could be something. If you use a, a simple Caesar cipher, it translates to CBBBAD, which, if you're looking at the hex code color scheme, it's sort of a, uh, a dull grayish-orange color, uh, perhaps comparable to uh, rotting flesh. I went uh, just... Generally scouring the internet, I found the phrase CBB bad boy, which I think has something to do with some kind of reality show. But the mystery of this eludes me. I'm certain it can't be a coincidence. For it to come here to me when it did to be assigned that number, that has to be something, right? More esoteric research is in order, I think. End recording. So I've rolled a four. Four of diamonds. You awoke in the morning to see damage in your room, that you did something in your sleep. What happened? Were you trying to give yourself a message? Pull from the tower. Eight of clubs. After a little research, you identify a couple of experts who might be able to help. Describe them, what they study, and why you think they can help. Queen of hearts. Exhausted, you try to throw it out, depositing it in the dumpster behind the museum on your way out to eat. 
When you return, it's right back in your desk. How did it return? Is there any logical explanation from this? Pull from the tower. Seven of Hearts. You touched the artifact, and it was surprisingly, brutally cold. Your fingers stuck to it briefly. What happened when you pulled your fingers away? Pull from the tower. <laughs> That's a good fucking coincidence. Day seven of examining artifact number three, two, 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 one, four, Simon Lidst recording. So, it seems, sometime during the night, I got up and, while I slept, jabbed every fork I own into the wall of my bedroom. Maggie is away speaking at a conference, and I have a fairly robust security system, so it could have only been me. The forks were arranged in a tall... Vaguely rectangular-shaped formation, with uh, one in the middle set a few inches inward, vaguely suggestive of a doorway, or passage, if you will. Well, with that, I had just about had it with dealing with this artifact. I have had nothing but dead ends. It has affected my health, my working relationships, my family life. So, when I went out to lunch, I chucked it in the dumpster. <laughs> Had a nice, relaxing meal, feeling a weight lifted off my shoulders. And when I got back to work, ready to work on new projects for once, there it was, at my desk, like it had never been thrown away. Now, is it possible a co-worker saw me disposing of museum property and looking out for my employment and my general well-being plucked it out and put it back on my desk and didn't say anything to me about it? Sure, but this far in, I think I know better than to suspect anything else but the fact that it got back on its own somehow. So, if it came back again, I thought, well, I could just throw it out again. I reached down to pick it up, and it was cold. Not cold like it's always been, like a fresh out-of-the-freezer regular piece of metal. This thing was cold. I tried to pull away my fingers, but they wouldn't move. Not like they were stuck there because of the cold, but like the fork was trying to pull me in somehow. I struggled, and I pulled, and I pulled, like grabbing my own arm and pulling it back with the other, and I eventually got it off. And when I was off, I swear I heard some sound of laughter. Like it was amused at me for for trying to get rid of it, for for thinking I could get it out of my life, or or even escape it once I was in its grasp. I mean once it was in my grasp. But in brighter news, I did hear back from the uh the helpful internet person that I uh, previously mentioned. He sent me his name, his proof of credentials, the place that he works at, 
Uh, he, he specializes in kind of occult historical uh, items and beliefs, but uh, it seems like he approaches them all from a, a fairly honest and logical and well-researched viewpoint. So I'm honestly feeling very optimistic for the first time in a while. If this thing thinks I'm not done with it, well, we'll see. Okay, I rolled another four. We have four of spades. In your dream, you're in a normal setting. Everyone is smiling. You witness something awful happen. And everyone is still smiling. What happened? Why is everyone smiling? Pull from the tower. King of Hearts. You work late one night, and after several frustrating failures, you try to rid yourself of the artifact by burning it. This attempt fails. How did you try to burn it? How did it fail? Place it with the other kings. Seven of Clubs. You lost a close friend while trying to convince them about the artifact. What happened? Pull from the tower. And the King of Diamonds. That's all four kings. You notice a new scar or discoloration on your skin in a particular shape. What does it look like? Why are you sure it's related to the artifact? When you try to show it to someone, they insist you've always had it. If this is the Force King you have face up, turn to the rules section titled Four Kings and follow the instructions there. If you have all four kings on the table in front of you, whatever supernatural force is behind the artifact is on the verge of breaking into your reality. You now have a choice to make. Maybe you're too exhausted or too tired to keep fighting. Whatever, I'm not going to read all this. Uh, if you, you can allow it to enter the world, or you can uh, continue to try and find a way to uh, stop it. Day 8, 3, 2, 2, 2, 1, 4, Simon Liz. Another restless night. Another, another nightmare. It was New Year's Eve. Friends gathered together to celebrate the end of one thing, the beginning of another. It was snowing outside. As the clock hit 11.59, the entire party started counting down. 59, 58, 57, and they started walking towards me. Picked me up. 53, 52 took me to the front door, threw me out into the cold, 49, 48. I banged on the door, saying, come on, this is some joke, it's cold, please let me in, this isn't funny, 44, 43, 42, saying, come on, please, running around looking for another way in. 25, 24, 23, an open window, an unlocked door, 10, 9, 8. There is no way they could hear me screaming for all the noise they were making. 3, 2, 1. Everything stopped. Partygoers frozen in mid-revel, snowflakes suspended in flight, and the eye was there. Before I could even begin to run, I was in its grasp, those tentacles invisible against the stark white snow. I felt my arm pulled up, my palm forced open. 
tiny, frigid tentacles began to pierce my palms, tunneling upward through my wrist into the flesh of my fingers. As the pain began to overwhelm me, the tentacles were yanked out. Not through the tunnels they made as they entered, but outward, through the meat and skin of my hand. Zero. I awoke in a panic and turned on the lamp on my bedside table. Each of my fingers had a thin vertical line running down the length of them, meeting at a single point on my wrist, right where the tentacles had entered in my dream. Maggie seemed... concerned. She had returned from the conference earlier that night and had barely gotten any sleep before I had woken her up. I showed her my hand with those lines like scars running down the fingers, and she seemed confused. She said, you've always had those scars. You didn't like to talk about it. I assumed it was some sort of accident, but you've always had them. And that is not true. There is no way that I have always had these scars. And I told her so. We, we argued. We argued in the way that how one small topic can bring up other larger topics, topics that you've ignored in your relationship because they're not worth arguing about because you think they'll go away. But some things don't just go away. Maggie went away, though. And I hadn't heard from her since. Not the next morning. Not the whole day after. Not the late night that I stayed at work. I had to wait until after my co-workers had left. I told them I was close to a breakthrough, and I, I wanted to keep working. I don't think they believed me, but they left all the same. In my correspondence with Nicholas, my my online occult expert, he recommended fire. Fire is common in purification rituals. There's a, a simple diagram you can draw in inks or salts or whatever. It's, a, it's symbolic of man harnessing the elements, blah, blah, blah. I didn't care. I just wanted this thing gone. So I put the artifact in a metal wastebasket and took it outside. I anointed myself with some oils I was told to purchase, and made a circle of salt around the wastebasket. I lit a candle, and threw it and all of my notes that I had taken regarding this artifact into the wastebasket. I sat back, and I watched it burn. After the paper had turned to ash, and no more light emanated from the wastebasket, I kicked it over. And there was the artifact, seemingly untouched by the flame. If anything, it looked better for it. It looked perhaps like something had been burned off of it. Like there was a, a thin, clear sheen of something that was containing the metal beneath it. And it started to twist and, and writhe there on the ground, almost like it was alive. Its shape shifted, not so much a transformation as a rearranging of its collective parts. It no longer looked like a fork, but it looked like a key. A key to what, though? To a door made of forks on a wall, 
to the door outside a party you've just been thrown out of, to a door in a house that's a maze behind which your sister is screaming, a door to a hole in reality that happened to open wherever a key might happen to fall. I felt it then, the madness that had been creeping at the edge of my mind, the malevolent force from my dreams. It was growing closer and closer. I think the magic had weakened it somewhat, but I had to act. If I didn't do something fast, it would open the door to our world, and that that thing would break through and do God's knows what. I did the only thing I could think of. I grabbed it with my hand, with those marks that were definitely not always there, and I threw it back in its... It's shiny black case, weirdly heavy. I threw that case in a box. I threw that box into the overnight delivery mailbox, addressed to the farthest away museum I could find. And since then, my life has been quiet. I no longer have those dreams. I still have the marks on my hands. I still don't have Maggie. But... It's quiet. I think I could do with quiet for a while. End recording. Audio log of Marcellus Cook, assistant curator. Catalog number 1548G. This item arrived anonymously to our collection. Uh, It looks like a... uh, tarnished metal fork, uh, has some sort of strange inscription on it, arrived in a, uh, a small black case, uh, feels a bit heavy for a uh, fork sole inside it though. Current attempts at identifying it have proven unsuccessful. Uh, since this item came into our possession, I've been having some strange dreams. And that was the artifact. If you happen to pick up the big itch.io racial justice bundle a while back, the artifact is included in that, along with a bunch of other uh, one-player role-playing games. So if you've never given one-player games a try, I recommend it. I don't really know of any other podcasts out there doing one-player games, so I want to part the kimono a little bit on my process. Uh, I would say this represents maybe about two hours of uh, actual recording time. Uh, I would get the cards, uh, take a few minutes to figure out how all the the prompts kind of fit together, and made up most of the, the actual details live. It might not have been the best for creating a coherent narrative, but... Uh, I feel like it's more true to the RPG experience of not planning things out too heavily. I will admit to re-recording a few bits after the fact just to make things slightly more coherent, but I didn't add or change anything significant that I came up with during the recording. Uh, Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with a mini-series that we're calling The Lure of the Temptress. To 
This has been Pod of Wonder. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod of Wonder. I'm Danny. You can find me on Twitter at DannyPlaysRPGs. And you can find the games I make at DannyMakesRPGs.itch.io. Our opening theme is Opening, and our closing theme is Glue Glue, both by Komiku. The music you heard today was... Cold Claws by Unicorn Hard-On, under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. It was a robe, dark crimson, lined in the edges with white fur. That's fucking Santa Claus, take that out.